Welcome to the Atlantic Access Podcast. Now your host, Terry Parker. Hello and welcome to a special retro edition of the Atlantic Access Podcast as we turn the clock back 40 years and revisit 1980 and one song, one artist in particular. Uh, No, they're not Maritimers, but you know what? We could probably call them honorary Maritimers because the success of Beat Goes On and Switch and the Glide became a national phenomenon, international in fact. And we'll be chatting with Zero of the Kings, who'll share the amazing story of the success of that single and the equally amazing story of a long lost piece of concert footage from 40 years ago also that flipped the switch to trigger a whole new switch and the glide phenomenon so to kick it off the kings do you rock and roll on atlantic access
Atlantic Access, a special retro version this week. We're talking with Zero of the Kings. Uh, Zero, welcome to the podcast. Uh, my pleasure to uh, to be part of it. Thank you. Can you take us back 40 years, late 70s, early 80s, age of discovery, new wave, punk, all of that was colliding. And the Kings were one of the first, if not one of the only Canadian bands of that time to really make a mark internationally. Well, it was um, the focus for us was always trying to to be songwriters and work on our songwriting. I met Sonny, our keyboard player in Vancouver, and I wondered if I could maybe work on writing songs and that, but I knew that I probably couldn't do it on my own. We started working on songs, but we didn't have a band, and then I said, well, I know two guys back in Oakville, uh, Ontario, where I was from, and we did. Uh, we said, well, let's do some recordings. So we tried that, and then we found out that Dave was writing some good songs too. But we had some good ideas, and we're young and you know full of ideas for uh, music. And we entered a contest with a radio station had the first homegrown called Chum FM, and there was 600 entries, and we managed to win it with a song called "Turn My Face to the Wall," which later developed into "Don't Let Me Know" on our first album. You know, radio stations had, you know, in, in Toronto, uh, it developed into this thing every year where they, you know, it was a big deal with bands sending in their songs and everything, and they'd get recording contracts, and they'd get gear, and they'd get cash, and there's all this other stuff. But we got a free lunch. That's all we got out of the deal. They took us to a restaurant and said, way to go, guys. No record company was interested in us at all. But it, it did sort of get us out a, a little bit, and... and um, and the most we ever did was about 50-50 of cover songs and our own material. So what happened was that, you know, it didn't stick out when we did our own music because it sort of sounded the same 
that was actually a good thing for us. So this all takes you to the cusp of the great success that became a Switch and the Glide Beat Goes On. And I want to revisit that a little bit later on, but it's probably one of the most successful two-sided singles in the history of rock and roll. And here you do last year, you kind of get together, you create yet another great two-sided single, one that people may not be too familiar with, Circle of Friends with Man That I Am. Well, we're pretty proud of that one, too. I mean, that was a song that we developed you know, actually a while ago when we made this demo of it, you know, it was just us as an indie band. But we did reunite with our producer, Bob Ezrin, to get him to mix that song for us. There was some bad blood there for a while and all this, you know, some various things that went on between us and him. We sent him the, the mix, you know, email, and 20 minutes later, there was a return from him, you know. And, and I remember looking at the email going, oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> Blowing us off already, is he? Yeah. yeah, that's what I thought. How you know you got a lot of nerve there, Zero, you know. <laughs> what he said, I mean, it was just one line. He says, "Sure, sounds good to me. Let's do it." And you know, he said, "Okay, I'll start it up here at my house. I'm gonna finish it in Nashville because he has a a, a, a studio room in his house, of course." Sure. Mm-hmm. And so. Um, yeah. It was great to see him again and, you know, reunite over a song. And <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, it's uh, certainly turned out great and it's worthy of our time. Circle of Friends and Man That I Am on Atlantic Access from The King.
talking with Zero of the Kings on Atlantic Access. Beat goes on, switching the glide. It's been around the Canadian psyche now. It's it's ingrained in Canadian culture, a staple of that era. Is there an energy about the song that people just can't get enough of, or is it the fact that other generations are rediscovering it? Well, I think that, you know, first of all, Canadian radio has been so positive for us that they have never stopped playing it. It's been on a lot of top 100 lists, which is a great compliment to us. And actually, Bob Mercero, who's from the East Coast, he wrote a book, the top 100 Canadian singles of all time, and he got in a number 72 on that. We decided that we had enough tunes to go into a studio in a place called Nimbus 9 in Toronto, and this is where Jack Richardson had worked with the Guess Who, and his he was mentoring Bob Ezrin, who just finished uh, working on the Pink Floyd uh, The Wall album. Came to the studio just to hang out and visit some of the people that worked there and that and he gave him a cassette and he took it home and then actually his kids kind of liked it and he thought well kids like it, young people like it. Said, you know, we, we talked to him mixing them. He's going you know, you guys are good but you just haven't got a clue about how to record. Let me go to L.A. and see if I can get you a record deal. And it was like, we're going, you, you, uh, really? It's like a Cinderella story or something. And we were flabbergasted. And he came back and said, okay, sign here, kind of basically. And it was, well, holy geez. So we went in a rehearsal studio for a month. And, you know, every day. And then we went in the studio at, back at Nimbus, and it was just an, a fantastic experience. Then he went and mixed it in L.A., and then we came down to L.A., and then they released it. But they released Switching the Glide on its own because the segue was too long. We were pressuring the record company. You know, the magic is in both songs. It's not in just Switching the Glide. And so they finally did it, and that's when the phones started to ring at radio stations. And it started to break all over the U.S. and Canada. And... And that's what happened, you know, and later, and then uh, in August of 1980, uh, just when the record was coming out and it entered the Billboard chart the, the week of the 23rd, we got an opportunity to play at the Heatwave Festival in, in at Mostport Racetrack. Just Elvis Costello headlined the show with, you know, the talking heads and the pretenders and the B-52s and all that. The, the, the promoter, the John Brower, he thought we were good enough to be in this thing. The day of the show, he came and said, you know, when do you guys want to go on? And we said, well, we'd like to go on with the lights mm-hmm. because we have a visual show. And, of course, back then they didn't have video screens or any of that kind of stuff. So he said, all right, you go on, you know, close the show. We said, okay, fine. And so the cool thing about it was that he had a film crew there, and and he went to all the artists and the bands that were playing there that day and said, let us film it and record it. We'll put it all in a vault, and we can figure out the legal stuff later. And all the bands that I just mentioned all said no, except us and Teenage Head from Hamilton. The film had disappeared after the concert. We'd seen a little clip of it somewhere, and then it just disappeared. And so sometime in the 90s, I can't exactly remember when, you know, I got it in my head that this thing exists, so I'd like to see if I could find it. And I found out the name of the production company that that filmed it. I got hold of the guy and I said, you know, I don't know if you remember this. You know, I'm from the band The Kings and we played at Heat Wave. And he goes, oh, yeah. He says, let me tell you a little story. And so he says, you know, last week we were clearing out our warehouse because it's overflowing. And we had a dumpster outside. And I was going down the shelves and I go, okay, dumpster, dumpster, dumpster. And then the Heat Wave, uh, okay, we'll save that. Come and get it. Pick up the reels. Get it. Get it out of my warehouse. You can have it. Sweet. So, yeah. um, and then uh, we found the sound uh, through Doug McClement, who's uh, a great audio guy who does the Olympics, the Junos, and everything else. And it's a great half-hour live uh, video of us 
sort of at the peak of uh, the original band, right when we were full of beans and getting ready to hit the road and promote our single. Well, I certainly recommend it to anyone to have a look. Hey, Zero, um, just want to say thanks for your time here today and uh, for the stories. Well, Terry, it's my pleasure, and uh, we really appreciate being on today. Thank you. The Kings. Beat goes on and switching the glide on Atlantic Access.
goes on switching the glide the kings on atlantic access many thanks again to guitarist zero for spending some time with us the atlantic access podcast a weekly presentation of entertainment plus mobile dj and media relations division in moncton see entertainmentplus.ca if you were paying attention you heard zero talk about another new wave slash punk act out of hamilton that found a lot of success also during that era 40 years ago so we'd be remiss to just ignore that reference to teenage head our bonus track this week let's Shake on Atlantic Access. each week. Follow the Atlantic Access podcast with Terry Parker and like our Facebook page, facebook.com backslash Atlantic Access. Access always spelled with an X.